0: (laughs) Hi Veneer Hello how are you Thank you for doing this interview with me today and sharing your terrific terrific story your awesome story There is a lot that you have I mean, just thrived through. So I'm thriving now, but then I wouldn't consider it thriving. <laughs> so, I mean, for women that just feel like they're having one uh, strange or negative episode or one hurdle after another, after another, you're a prime example of if you keep your head up and you keep pressing and you keep going, that you will be successful, that your dreams will begin to unfold. I mean, because yours started the day you were born. Yeah. How how did that happen? How did you spend a week in the bayou?
1: Yeah. So um, if you've seen any of my interviews, of course, you know that my mom and I didn't always have the best relationship. Um, And so she actually had me very young. She got pregnant at 15, had me at 16. Um, And nobody knew that she was pregnant. She didn't really have a support system. And back then, it was kind of this, you don't really talk about what's going on thing. Mm -hmm. There weren't really a lot of medical resources. Um, And so the morning I was born, she gave birth all by herself, 16 year old, scared little girl. Um, And she didn't really know what her options were and so she put me in a duffel bag and walked to the bayou uh, because of course we lived in new orleans so she walked to the bayou and put me in a hole um and i'm told that she prayed that another family would find me that someone who could take care of me would find me um and then a week later someone did (laughs) yeah so i'm told I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, because I want the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've never really read the full story. Um, of course, I've read the newspaper articles, but it's kind of like this family myth that's circulating. Um, but I've been told that every morning before she went to school, she would come and feed me. When they found me, I only had mosquito bites. Um, there was nothing else physically wrong with me. They could tell that someone had been watching over me. Um, Around the time they found me, she went to the hospital because she failed to deliver the afterbirth because of course she's 16 years old, gave birth by herself. She didn't know. Um, And so they put two and two together and realized we have this baby without a mother and we have a mother who clearly has just had a baby who's claiming she was never pregnant. So... You know um i'm not really sure all of the legalities that happened but i did end up back with my mom i grew up yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. and that started a very long story of survival
0: <laughs> so okay that's birth which is a mm-hmm. because as you grow i mean kind of like being on a track field mm-hmm. and where you're doing maybe the 400 meter hurdles Every couple of steps or every couple of years, there's another gigantic stressful. Not they. Right. Psychiatrists say that moving, losing a relative, those things of those nature are extremely stressful. Mm-hmm. But they haven't heard our stories. Right. <laughs> right. So right. Um, continue through and walk us walk us through, mm-hmm. and then I want to know the epiphany behind the name of the coaching program
1: okay okay um so taking you through like like you said it definitely um it's funny because sometimes when i speak with people i feel like i'm talking about someone else this life seems so far removed from, from where i am today and i'm so grateful because there were so many times going through it that i definitely thought I would not make it through. Um, And so being able to look back and tell my story from a place of victory, from a place of overcoming, um, it really is incredible to me, you know? Um, But so, you know, of course that was birth. My family moved from New Orleans to Seattle, four or five years old. Um, And honestly, after that, we probably moved every year, went to a different school every year. Uh, When I was about six years old, I was molested. We moved into a new complex, um, and there was a girl that was my friend, Um, and, you know, my mom, again, single mom, at this point, she had four children, Um, so there were four of us by the time she was 21 years old, and so she was working two, three jobs, most of our life, Um, and, you know, when she wasn't working multiple jobs, she was in school, so... I kind of raised myself and my siblings um, for a good part of our life. You know, I was babysitting by the time I was six years old. And so there was a girl in the neighborhood um, who molested me for about a year. Um, Never told anyone about it until I was late into my teens. But I definitely started feeling the effects of it much sooner than that.
0: Um, Do you remember who the first person was that you told?
1: I want to say it was my mom, um, but she didn't believe me. Um, and I realized when I told her, like I said, I was 16 years old, I had left home by then. Um, and so I'm sure that there was a lot more of concern than just the fact that I had been molested when I was such a child. And so that part kind of got swept under the rug. Um, but you know, by then, Again, when I was six years old, we were already being physically and emotionally abused. Um, and so when it happened, I f- knew that I couldn't tell anyone. I knew that if I said something, I was going to get a weapon because it was my fault. I probably shouldn't have hung out with her. There were so many things that I probably shouldn't have done. You know, I should have known better. All of these all of these things that we place on ourselves, which at six years old, how would I have known? But I, you know, I didn't know. So, But,
0: but that's, that's the classic story. That's the classic mm-hmm. story and where first we blame ourselves, right. then when we do get the voice to actually mm-hmm. speak and tell somebody, mm-hmm. we're not believed. Right. So right, right now. Mm -hmm. if there is a young lady that is watching this that is having that experience or has had that experience but never said it aloud to anyone what Mm -hmm. would you say to her right now
1: get help there's nothing that you possibly could have done Um, you know I always of course that's what I do now right is help abuse survivors Mm -hmm. and so I always know you could be walking down fifth street naked there's nothing that you can do that makes it okay for another person to hurt you. And so knowing that, what does happen though is when we realize that this affected our life in whatever way and we don't get help, then we continue to hurt ourselves. They've hurt us and moved on. But when we realize that it's affecting us and abuse has lifelong effects, and that's why I do what I do because the effects are lifelong um and so once you realize that it's affecting your life in any way get help it doesn't matter if you're 55 years old and it happened when you were in elementary school get the help that you need speak to that the rest of your years can really be the best of your life
0: so you can get to a point where you can let go and move and move past it emotionally
1: absolutely not
0: just that time passes because time doesn't heal all wounds and a lot of
1: times we get stuck in this cycle of being a survivor Um, and I think that's the story of a lot of black women you know I'm a survivor Mm -hmm. I made it through whatever Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah you survived it but you're still just surviving there's so much more to life than just surviving
0: Mm -hmm. okay when you said you left home at 16 Mm mm-hmm you left home and um so at that time
1: at about 16 i had already tried to kill myself twice um i had started cutting myself when i was 10 years old um and so around 16 was when i realized for myself wow i'm in crisis you know this is not normal um i would go through You know, and I was the shining star. I was a straight A student. I was in every extracurricular activity. If I wasn't at school, I was at work or I was at church. You know, I was looking from the outside in. I was that model student, Um, but I did not care. I had already gotten a full ride scholarship to Howard, and I didn't even care if I lived to the next day. And so, and I think the only reason I even chose Howard at that time is because it was so far away from Mm -hmm. Seattle, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I started to realize around that time that, wow, my life really is in crisis. And I think I want to die, but it's not that I want to die. I just don't want to live in this pain. And so um, I was immediately after my second suicide attempt um, and, you know, came home and dealt with my mom saying how weak I was and you know all of these things and I think around that time again I just realized life doesn't actually have to be this way there are alternatives um, and so I went and I stayed with a friend of mine who went to my church um, stayed with her for about a month and then the pastor uh, she was a foster parent and so the pastor said that I couldn't stay there and so I ended up living with my pastor and his wife um, for about a year. I lived there until I went to college.
0: Okay. So with your first and second attempt, mm-hmm. what was the reaction from your family?
1: Um, and I will give the disclaimer that, you know, we only can do what we know with the resources that Mm -hmm. we have, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I think a lot of times when I talk about my past, um, it seems like I'm villainizing my family. Mm -mm. Um, And it definitely isn't that.
0: um, But I didn't have the resources that I needed, you know. It's
1: it's
0: it's just a statement of fact mm -hmm. of the environment Mm -hmm. and the sociological factors that were in place at that time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Um, So the first time... (laughs) The first time, I, and I'm sorry, I kind of chuckled because, again, I, I look back on it and it's like, is this real life, you know? Yeah. Um, the first time, I actually took some Borax rat poison uh, with some Kool-Aid. I mixed up a really tall glass. Um, and about half an hour afterwards, I was on the line with a friend of mine from church because church was so important. To my life back then mm-hmm. and so I was on the phone with a friend of mine and I'm like oh my god I'm going to hell like you know so I'm like just <laughs> right. and so she asked what happened and you know it took a while for me to tell her but I finally told her my pastor got involved and so you know he woke my mom up and I that was a foiled attempt, of course. Um, They reached out to the crisis center, um, but there still was a lack of understanding. Um, And of course, at this point, no one knew that I had been molested, and no one outside of my family knew that we had been being physically or verbally abused.
0: Um, And so- Because one of the things that I I want um, women to hear and if any young girls or teen girls watch this, what I what I really want them to get from this is that you're reacting to everything, but the people mm-hmm. outside of you are only reacting to the crisis because right. they don't know the real reason of why. They they don't know the file folder. All mm-hmm. they see is the yellow on the outside. Exactly.
1: Absolutely. So.
0: Absolutely. You know, as as coaches, as counselors, articulating it and saying it mm-hmm. is one of the greatest things that you can do, even if you just write it all down on a mm-hmm. piece of paper and carry that paper with you. Getting it out mm-hmm. is, the, is the most important thing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so that was the first time. And, you know, and then the pastor... Uh, actually joked about it in church um they called me up to the prayer line and he told me that I wasn't a rat and so I should not do that and so that was kind of the end of it um and really honestly all that taught me was next time just don't say anything (laughs) next time I need to be more careful you know and so the second time um I did I actually overdosed on pills um and it was just like Advil or something over the counter Mm -hmm. um and several days later my mom found out and her response was the next time i wanted to do it that i should let her know so that i was not causing um causing issues in the family basically so that i could take them out of this hamster wheel of veneers always in crisis just let her know so that she could tell me how to effectively do it um and so that was the attempt that you know after everything had kind of boiled over with that I realized I can't continue like this I will be successful and hurting myself
0: sorry go ahead In either of those two events did you ever go to the hospital
1: I went to the hospital the second time um, but it was several days after and so the I was fine they just you know I did see a counselor after that that's actually when I started seeing a counselor um, and I saw a counselor until I went to college.
0: Yeah, yeah. so. And that, and that process helped?
1: Um, honestly? Yes. Not really. Right. <laughs> Only because, you know, I didn't have the family support. I felt like, you know, and it wasn't until, because there was a final attempt, um, which I'll tell you about in a moment, but it wasn't until, that final attempt where I started to see that I have to have all of the pieces in place. Um, And so, you know, I went to counseling and they just kind of put me on medication. Um, And we talked about the surface things. We talked about, again, people see the crisis. So we talked about what was on the outside of the envelope, but never ever talked about why. And so when the what was on the outside was resolved, which most of that was me living at home, When that part was resolved, I still had the depression, but then for outside view, it looked like there was no reason because it's like you're not in an unstable environment anymore.
0: You're a straight A student.
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You have a full ride to Howard. What's Mm -hmm. wrong with you? What could possibly be wrong with you? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Because they're they're unaware that everything that you're now reacting to has happened over the last Mm -hmm. decade.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And
0: a lot of the times, if you're speaking with a counselor that is educated in the area, but doesn't have any personal experience in the area, then they don't know what to ask.
1: Right. You're right. You're right. (laughs) And, you know, around that, like I said, my whole life was in Christ around that time. Um, You know, I have been bulimic for several years um, but that was around when it started to come out and for everyone else you know because I was always a big child I graduated high school at 300 pounds again sign of crisis right but for everyone else, it was oh you must be doing that because you don't like being chubby because you don't like being fat and it's like hmm I mean, that may be a very tiny part of it, but let's look at why it's happening right. in the first place.
0: Right. You know? That's still, um, surface, and, still surface layer. hmm
1: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like so often we treat the symptoms yes. without getting to the root, without, you know, just going in and pulling up the weeds from the root. Um, and because I, at that time, was so involved in church, I thought I knew God. And I thought, you know, my understanding of God was how the pastor interpreted the Bible for me. And I saw God as unforgiving. I saw God as, you know, every time that I had tried to harm myself in the past, mm-hmm. my first thought was, Oh my God, I'm going to hell now. Like forget about the pain I've been in. Forget about, you know, I'm going to hell, God, please forgive me. You know? And I think that I had this very unrealistic relationship with God. Um, and it wasn't until I got to Howard. And again, I mean, my freshman year, I think for me, was just an excuse. I was away from everyone. So I could be as depressed as I was and no one knew. Um, and so, you know, for me, it was just getting away from anyone who knew me. Um, and so, I, my final attempt. I actually have um, a blog post on my site called Conversations with God that talks about it. Um, but essentially, I, I overdosed on some pills and Tanqueray, Um, and I slept for three days. And during those three days, I, I felt like I was sitting beside God, uh, the first day kind of just looking at myself like, girl, what did you do?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, um, but over the course of those three days, my wanting to leave this space of pain changed to, I will go through it. Cause I know that there's a purpose. I know that I could have been dead from birth. But there's a reason that I'm still here. And God, if you just promise that you will walk beside me and that you will guide me and that I will actually have a real relationship with you and not just what I've been taught to have in church, if you promise that you will walk beside me, I will never, ever think that this gift you gave me is worthless. You know, I think for me, it was that experience that gave me the epiphany, like, who am I to be so arrogant? to think that this gift you've given me of life is even mine to take. And that was when things started to change for me. That was when I did seek counseling again, but this time I understood why I needed to be in counseling. And counseling itself was not particularly the key, but it certainly helped me see value in myself so that I could
0: start to find the keys to get better. You mentioned that you started cutting yourself at 10. Mm-hmm. And then at what age did you stop? Um, about 23. Okay, so you were well into Howard at this time. Yeah. Did any of your oh, classmates yeah. ever notice anything? Um, I don't think so, but I honestly, think. I was yeah. so
1: oblivious at that time.
0: I, mean, did they say anything to you about it?
1: Not without me first bringing it up. Um, I mean, you know, even now, I have over 100 scars on my arm. I have scars all over my legs. So, you know, in my memory, and again, that time is kind of cloudy, I don't remember anyone saying anything that they could actively see. Anything that they saw were scars that had been there. Yeah, I was very discreet, um, which at that time it was actually something that I was proud of. And now I just want to hug myself and say, girl, like they will not judge you. People who care about you will help you get the help you need, you know. Um, but that at that time, a lot of people think that people who harm themselves do it for attention. People who try to commit suicide do it for attention. That is the furthest thing from truth. Yes. And I went... To every extreme to hide it so that people didn't know. And so for me, it was certainly never a way um, to get attention. So you know, to answer your question, I'm sure that there were some people who noticed, but certainly never anyone who noticed while I was in crisis.
0: Because people like to think that, I mean, we blame the teachers mm-hmm. when it when students. Um, commit suicide as of bullying, you hear about all of the incidents that happened in school mm-hmm. um, the, When I say we, I mean society Society mm-hmm. likes to look at everybody that was around the person, you know When everything is warm and hot and everybody is still grieving and crying if mm-hmm. the person is successful mm-hmm. But it is very easy to hide right. self-harm, it is very easy to hide suicide attempts If somebody really and truly wants to kill themselves, it isn't the people that are around them that can stop them from doing it. Right,
1: right, right. And there certainly are signs, you know, and I think that it's important to, uh, I have a good friend, Jackie, who always says, check on someone. Um, And so, you know, I think that it is important to check on the people that are closest to us, but if someone doesn't want you to know, you're not gonna know. Right, right.
0: So if there's anybody that's feeling any type of guilt because of the person that you cared about that was harmed or was self inflicting harm, mm-hmm. you can't carry that guilt because there's nothing that you could have done to prevent right. that. Right. So yeah. go bisons.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we graduate from Howard. Yes, yes, yes. From Howard, we go where?
1: So after I left Howard, um, again, that was around the time that I had started to realize, you know, this life is just not—it's not working, and I'm a lot of this pain is self-inflicted, you know. Uh, and granted, when I was a teenager, um, I, I want to say it was Paul who said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I, you know, and so. Um, When I was a teenager, it made sense that a lot of the things I wasn't really able to connect to my childhood. Um, But as I started to get older, I realized that I'm in control of my happy. I'm in control of the people I allow into my life. I'm in control of the experience that I have in this life. Um, And so there were several years after that of um, kind of unhealthy relationships, learning to rebuild things with my mom, because we went several years without speaking. Um, We didn't really speak the whole time I was in college. Um, And so as I went through that process and really learned to love myself, which became my priority, Um, that's when things kind of started to change. I already, you know, I was no longer hurting myself, but I think that I was in unhealthy relationships that were doing the hurting for me. Um, and, And so, you know, a few years into that, I just realized that, you know, again, I'm the one causing this, you know, before someone else was causing my pain. But i'm the one causing this now um and so
0: i learned how to make self-love a priority by continuing um, to live in it and accept it and by mm-hmm. continue by continuing to have it as your comfort zone
1: right exactly Mm-hmm. 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 yeah because i think a lot of times we get comfortable in that chaos Yeah. and we know how to navigate chaos but then when someone brings peace to us like hold on something's wrong i'm waiting for the shoe to drop right right wait a minute it's too quiet in here okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you know for me it really was just a matter of getting sick and tired of being sick and tired um and a lot of times i will work with coaching clients and who just aren't ready which is why I do an initial consultation. You know, I don't accept everyone as a client because until you are ready, there's no amount of outside help mm-hmm. that can help you. Mm-hmm. It, it has to come from within. Inside, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Tell me how we came to the name of Rising Phoenix. hmm.
1: I always have seen my life story as kind of that of the phoenix. Um, There have been many times in my life that I felt I was burning, um, you know, and felt that it was over. Um, Many times that I really just wanted to quit. And one thing that I love about the story of the phoenix is that death is a choice, that the phoenix chooses to become, you know, to burn and go into the ashes so that it can be reborn. And so for me, um, looking back over my life and all of the instances when I kind of thought I was out for the count and then something within said, you know what, girl, Mm -mm, we still got some fight. Um, So
0: the phoenix is a bird. uh, mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. so the phoenix is a mythological bird um i want to say it's from greek mythology and so it lives it has like a two thousand year lifespan and at the end of its lifespan it chooses to die in the flames um and then it is reborn and it gives its offering of its ashes into the sunset and so um, why that's symbolic for me, again, is all of the times that I have, you know, had to choose to be reborn and now being able to go back and use those ashes of my past, those ashes of my pain, to be able to give to an offering for other women who are going through similar circumstances.
0: Yeah. That's deep, Renee. That's really deep. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> well, looking back, is there any one particular technique or affirmation that helped you the most, or that gave you the, the biggest return?
1: You know, honestly, it wasn't um, particularly a technique.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I
1: think if anything, it's just learning to be present and mindful. Um, A lot of times, especially when we are feeling depressed, um, and, you know, I was diagnosed with clinical depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and so I'm a firm advocate that if you do have medical things going on, you need to seek professional help, Um, because it's just like if you have cancer, not everything can be... Parried away. Not everything is as simple as you saying a positive affirmation. Yes, you can say, I am healed all day, but God also gave us doctors who can help you expedite that healing, you know. Um, but I think for me, it was learning to be present, learning to observe my thoughts and my feelings and emotions without judging myself for them. Um, a lot of times when we are in that depressed state, We make it worse simply by judging the fact that we're depressed in the first place. Um, And so I really had to learn to say, you know what, check in with myself, you know, say, this is how I'm feeling today. And this is what I'm going to do for myself as opposed to, oh, God, here I am again. I thought I was over this. I thought, you know, how am I helping women? And I'm feeling like this. No, no. I'm, today I'm feeling a little low energy and I'm feeling kind of sad. Maybe I should go for a walk. That'll make me feel better, you know? And so kind of just changing that internal language so that it isn't coming from a place. And a lot of times when we're hearing that all of our life, hearing how we're so bad and, you know, oh, you're doing this, you're wrong, being able to just... Say, there you
0: go again. Look at what uh-huh. you done got yourself in. Uh-huh. you could be just like mm-hmm. your daddy. Exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly and so being able to say you know what this is what it is i don't want it to be this way so here's what i can do so that it isn't
0: this way for that for that sister right now that knows she has an issue but it is such a stigmatism in the community um career-wise what would you say to her she says I know I need to be ready, but Mm -hmm. I'm not ready. Maybe when I retire or maybe after I raise the kids or maybe after I get a college degree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say to her to try and let her know ready is now? Right.
1: Honestly, honestly, For me, I had to change my reality and I had to change what I saw. And so for me, it became a matter of even though I wasn't ready to get the help, I started surrounding myself by women that I admired. I started surrounding myself with strong women. I started listening to messages of hope. Because as long as we keep telling ourselves that same story with that same ending that keeps us defeated, we're going to stay in that place. And so even if you aren't ready to reach out to someone and get help, clean out your Facebook timeline. So many of us spend so much time on Facebook.
0: Girl. It's funny
1: to me when people, <laughs> when people complain about, oh, Facebook is just drama, Facebook is blah, blah, blah. You choose that. Mm-hmm. You choose that reality. Mm-hmm. So start with cleaning out your Facebook. Get rid of, and it doesn't mean that you have to cut off people. Even though I will cut off people in a second. And I. Right. <laughs> but if you don't in a,
0: want in to a, do in that, a clean yeah. cut too, girl. We're not back and forth. Clean <laughs> cut.
1: But even if you're not ready to do that, start following pages that encourage you. Start adding friends who encourage you because you're going to see it so much in your timeline. It's naturally going to bring you up. And it's going to be easy to get rid of the things that don't serve you. Um, A lot of times I tell people, you know, we spend so much time trying to push out the negative when all we have to do is invite more positive. So even if that is something as simple as being on a diet, you know, instead of trying to stop eating pizza, eat more salad. You're not going to have as much room for pizza. And so, you know, same thing with negative people, just surround yourself with more positive interactions. You're going to be able to easily recognize when that negative person brings you down. So oh, that I t- would start. And I think, you know, after a while, after seeing these people thriving in your life, it will help you realize that you can have exactly that, especially if you're around authentic people. People who not only show you the testimony, but can also go back and tell you about the tests that helped bring them to this place. You know, I think once that becomes your reality and what you see, it's going to be easy to cut out anything that doesn't make you feel like that.
0: So, where can we find the excellent coach of <laughs> There,
1: pierre <laughs> um i am on facebook rising phoenix abuse recovery coaching on twitter at arising phoenix um of course periscope even though i'm not on there as much as i would like to be um at arising phoenix and then of course you can always visit my website www.risingphoenixcoaching.com Do you-